as we've talked about in the last several weeks, uh, we've been going through the book of Genesis. Well, right here at the beginning part of, of chapter 3, well, a few verses into chapter 3, uh, and last week, if memory serves me correct, we had gone through and talked about uh, pretty much the first six verses here is in Genesis chapter 3, uh, where uh, the serpent, who we know of as Satan, is talking to Eve and has basically presented a temptation to her as far as eating the fruit of the forbidden tree, how that she had uh, gave in to the temptation, had taken the fruit and eaten of it. And, And to my knowledge, that's pretty much where we've left off at. Any other thoughts or comments as far as this goes, whether it be from chapter 1 all the way up to this point? Um, anything anybody wanted to add or throw out there or make comment or question or what have you? All right, well, seeing none, we'll keep going. As I made mention last week, we <coughs> had, uh, had gotten up to the point to where right there in Genesis chapter 6, we didn't get all the way through uh, or chapter six, chapter three and verse six, uh, we didn't get all the way through uh, verse six because we find where Eve had saw that the food the fruit was pleasant to the eye, how that it was desirable to make one wise, and uh, and therefore she had taken it and had eaten of it. Uh, but the latter part of of verse six here. It's something, to be honest, it wasn't anything that I really particularly paid a lot of attention to until just a, a few years ago when I'd uh, heard someone make mention of it, and I'd also gone through a little bit of, of looking into this as well, and uh, thought it was quite interesting. And what I'm referring to here is, where was Adam during all of this that's happening? Any thoughts or comments as far as where Adam might be? And we have you know, the first five verses all the way up until uh, the latter part of verse 6 here. We read of Eve and the serpent, Eve and the serpent. We don't read of anything about Adam until the latter part of verse 6 here. So just out of curiosity, what do, you, what do y'all think as far as where he might have been? <clears throat> he was with her. But no, we, uh, but we're reading the latter part <coughs> of verse 6 here. Uh, in the New King James, it says that she, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Uh, I think the, the ESV, I was trying to remember how it was worded. It, uh, I think it says who was with her. Um, Making you know, trying to point it out a little bit more as far as the fact that he was right there, he was right beside her during this whole time. And what I was saying, as far as how that I never really thought about this latter part of it too much, because I guess you can say, is you know, I'd grown up in the church, and, and growing up in the church, you hear you know, certain uh, uh, accounts of history here in the Bible that uh, certain ways, and yeah, I. When you think about it from a young, young age, you have it set in your head that this is how it was, and, and you know, until you really start digging in there and you're questioning it, it, it kind of you know, 
makes you wonder because, to be honest, I always thought uh, to begin with that, oh, well, you know, here's you know Eve and, and the serpent or Satan is sitting here tempting her and Adam's over here at home tree or whatever, you know, and, and, and kicked back, laid back, you know, whatever, and didn't really know about it. And here Eve's like, hey, you know, I had this, this delicious piece of fruit here. Why don't you give it a shot? And uh, never really thought much about it as far as Adam being right there with her. And so it makes it a little bit uh, different in this whole aspect because here we have Adam listening to the whole conversation. We have Adam standing here, and yet rather than interjecting and saying, hey, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this, he just, yeah, let's see what happens to her, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but anyhow, he had, you know, she had taken of the fruit, had eaten it, and she had also given it to Adam, and he had eaten. Um, any thoughts or comments on that before we continue to move on? Yes, Beverly. Right? <clears throat> Very well could have been. He could have, you know, had heard everything and, you know, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just see what happens to her. If she drops, then then I know I ain't going to eat it, but uh, we'll see. You know, Mike, do you have something? I, I can, I think I kind of sense what you're saying there. And, but to, to some degree, you uh, I guess depending on your mindset or what have you, some, a lot of times, when people commit a sin, they're like, oh, man, I'm out here. Hey, why don't you come over here and try this out too? You know, and they want to pull somebody else in there with them so that you know they're, now we're on equal plane. You know? and now, I mean, I don't know if that was the aspect as far as Eve's thinking or not. But What, what was that scripture there, Jim? First Timothy 14? Uh, All right. Genesis 2.14, so I'm... Uh, no, that's a very good point. I appreciate you pointing that out, which also gives you the, the impression that he might not have been standing there. You know, because if, when it says that, he, um, that Eve was deceived and Adam wasn't, and, and that's a good point, something I didn't think about either. For those of you that might not have heard uh, Eric there, he would made mention of how that you know, we read of Eve putting up a, a little bit of a fight as far as, you know, well, you know, God said not to... Not to uh, to partake of that tree, you know, no, you know, but yet she ended up being, in a sense, talked into it or, or led into it uh, by deception to where we just eat, read of Adam, you know, of Eve handing Adam the fruit. He just, you know, no, no comments, no fight, no nothing. I think part of what uh, Jeremy was trying to get into here as well was the idea of how that in the next next verse here we read that the eyes of both of them were, were uh, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed, sewed uh, fig leaves together and made themselves coverings um, and, and the reason why I say part of what Jeremy I think was thinking here is the idea of you know, what what was involved with their eyes being opened well. Once again, we don't really know the, the extent of what this means. We know that they at least looked upon themselves and saw themselves as being naked, uh, which I know that when we finished up uh, two weeks ago on chapter 2, if you look back at the last verse there in chapter 2, it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And 
as we keep going, <clears throat> we find that, um, that Adam tells God you know, in a little bit that he, was, he saw himself as naked and was afraid. <coughs> and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the, um, the ideas uh, as far as uh, their eyes being opened, um, we don't really know the, the exact extent of that other than the fact that they knew what was right and what was wrong. Uh, right? No, that, and that's a good comment. It was just something that I'd, I really didn't think about. And what Chris had, had said, in case you didn't hear it, was um, how that, you know, even today we might make the comment as far as when we find out something or we, we do something, we, we figure out how difficult it might have been or what have you, and you're like, man, that, that really opened up my eyes, you know, how that, that happened. I mean, that... I don't know the history of that expression. Maybe it came from this. Maybe it didn't. I don't. I don't really know. Um, but good. Good comment. Anything else? Anybody want to add? Exactly. And and to that comment there, as far as how that, whenever we place God out of our plans, how is it, when we place God out of our plans, we place ourselves above His plans. Is that what it maybe? Um, is kind of the idea of what. Uh, was being talked about last week when we read about how that um, it was in verse 5. Um, you uh, When Satan is talking to Eve, saying, For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, uh, was basically putting themselves above God uh, in that desire, which is what Satan wants, which is what you know, your passage or your little commentary there made mention of, which is very good. All right? Absolutely. And moving on into that, as far as uh, how they will now fear God in a totally different light or a different way, (coughs) Uh, verse 8 makes mention of how they heard the sound of God or the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and it says that Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of, of the garden. <coughs> so here it's just, we have God, you know, and we kind of get the impression that this is something that happened on a regular basis, that God would come and, and walk in the garden uh, as a, uh, in the cool of the day. But then we have in verse 9, where it says that the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, this is an interesting um, aspect here as well. We know today that we can't hide from God. For uh, Psalms uh, 139 and verses 7 through 8 makes mention, says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. So we know today that we can't hide from God. Now, whether or not Adam knew that or not, I don't really know. Uh, But we also read of God asking the question, where are you? You So, I mean, we know that we can't hide from God and that God knows all things. Why would he ask, where are you? Right, kind of hiding from the shame, basically. Eric, and then Jeff. Mm-hmm. And that's a good concept, too, uh, 
uh, you and Eric had both brought that out as far as how that, you know, in times past when they heard the sound of God walking through the, the garden that they, just like a little child, might have come up to his parents when they got home, um, you know, they were coming out to greet God. And I never really thought about it in that aspect, and I, and I appreciate that uh, thought being brought out because that's something that I never really thought about there. But in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 9, is what uh, uh, Jim had brought out just a second ago. Uh, the, God asked Cain, says, where is your brother Abel? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And uh, in the other verse I was going to pull, pull out here was in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 8. Now, there are other times in Genesis, especially where God has asked uh, questions as far as uh, asked certain questions that he would have already known the answer to. But here in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 8, we have Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, <clears throat> who Sarah had been pushing on. And so out of her, uh, out of the pressure that Sarah had been putting on Hagar here, which we'll talk about, you know, months from now, right, Mike? <laughs> but, uh, we, we find God asking once again, Hagar, serious handmaid, where have you come from and where are you going? It's not that God didn't know that where she was coming from or where she was going, but yet she, she comes back and says, I am fleeing, fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Or Sarah, have you say that in, in that time. But, um, but I, find that I found this interesting looking at both of these these passages, because here we have two examples of where God had asked a question, what are you doing, where are you at, or you know, had asked a question. And in the first, we have Cain, who basically denies anything. Says, how do I know where Abel's at? I ain't my brother's keeper. You know, I, I didn't do anything wrong. What's going on here? You know, denying the whole aspect of the, the fact that he had done something wrong. But then in the second example, we have Hagar, who was expressing to uh, God that, yes, I am leaving uh, my mistress. I was, I was running away from my mistress, Sarah, my, my master in a sense. So here we have two different examples uh, of where God had asked a question and two different responses. Um, and as we'll see later, the, the uh, effect back from God were actually two different things as well because we know that, that Cain had gotten a curse and, and, uh, and Hagar was ended up, was, you know, God had sent her back to be with Sarah um, and kind of took care of her in a sense because he had made you know, her son that she had with Abraham as well a, a, a nation as well. But like I said, that's, a, that's another, uh, for another time, another month or so. <laughs> um. But getting back to Genesis 3 here, <clears throat> when God asked a question, where are you at? Over the next few verses, uh, from verses 10 down to 13, we see the blame game going. And this is, you know, how it starts. You know, in verse 10, well, at verse 10, where uh, Jim was making mention of how that, where Adam speaking says, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Then God speaking back says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? 
that you should not eat. And here we have the blame starting. It says, then the man said, the woman whom you gave me, or you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And then we have it going on down the line here. We have your God coming to Eve and saying, what is it you, this you have done? The woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So it's just the blame game. We keep blaming it. You're not really owning up to what we've done, but we keep blaming the sin off. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of commentary on that as far as you know, things that I was going to say before we get into the, the, the curses here as far as what we had going on. Mike and Jim, or Mike, yeah, I, exactly, and, and, and that's the whole, whole idea. I mean, we even play that game you know, today even still is that you know, we might get in trouble or might find something or we might do something wrong and and uh and if we're not careful we might even carry it on into our prayers it's, you know god i know i did this but you know this this and this and and i was just left with no choice well that's not the case you know we're we're also told and i almost looked up the scripture uh but i, I it, it makes mention of how that uh when you're tempted that uh, you're always left with a way of escape and i can't yeah i know that's not the exact wording of it and I want to say I was in First Corinthians, but I could be wrong in that. I don't know 100%. But anyhow, um, but we know that there's always a way of escape whenever we're tempted. Um, any other thoughts or comments before we get into uh, the, the disciplines, I guess we can say here? Good to point it out. So we keep that in mind. How that God had started with Adam, went to Eve, and then the, the serpent, and then as he's doing his punishments, he's backing his way back out from, from the serpent. All right. <clears throat> we could probably spend, obviously, the rest of this class time, and probably even on into next week's class time as well, just talking about this next set of, of, of Scripture here. But here in verses 14 and 15, we have... <coughs> So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity in between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we could separate those two verses up and just have loads of of comments on this, but going back to verse 14, <clears throat> the ideas as far as, and I, I know that there's a lot of thought out there as far as what it means by on your belly you should go, whether or not the serpent at one time had some kind of legs or what have you, and now he's cursed to, to, um, to, to be on his belly. One commentary I read on that, had made mention how that it's, it's really unbiblical to take one section of that and make it literal and the other section and make it figurative, uh, as in, on your belly you shall go, and then dust you shall eat, because snakes do not literally eat dust. And, uh, and I thought that was pretty interesting concept there. So as far as, just to throw it out there, as far as on your belly you shall go, I don't really have any thing to say on that because I don't really know you know did snakes have legs at one time I don't know um but we know that how they are today and we know that this is 
uh, what God says. But the idea there as far as uh, in dust you shall eat all the days of your life, uh, I found it really interesting in doing some research in this is because dust in general in, in the Old Testament shows a, it's basically a, a symbol of humiliation and defeat. And I've got two passages here, and this is probably going to close us out. But in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 6, here we have Joshua as he's led, right after he's led the children of Israel into Jericho, into, into victory uh, from Jericho, we have a guy named Achan who takes some spool uh, from the land of Jericho, which was against God's command. And, you know, obviously without Joshua knowing or anything, and Joshua, you know, about to head for the next uh, town, uh, Ai, I guess is how you say it. I don't know uh, exactly the, the pronunciation there, but it's, it's literally Ai. But... <coughs> Um, he sends a, a small uh, group up, up to this town, and they were defeated, and, and, and some of them had died, and they come back. Uh, and here in verse 6, we find Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Once again, symbolizing defeat, um, symbolizing humiliation, you know, and, and, and going on there. And the other passage I have, <coughs> and once again, you can find many passages in the Old Testament that's referring to dust and, and the aspect of humiliation and defeat. But uh, Solomon writes in Psalms chapter 72 and verse 9, those who dwell in the, in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. Once again, not referencing the fact that they will literally lick the dust, but yet symbolizing the, the aspect. Very good, uh, bringing out the aspect of how that it's not really the serpent that is being the, the punished here. It's Satan in, 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 in a symbolic way through the serpent, right? Uh, Mike? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think I read that commentary or something similar to the commentary that you had read as far as him, as far as in the garden it might not have actually been an animal serpent. It might have been something else, something different, uh, but just references as a serpent. Um, and, and that could also answer the question I know last week that we were talking about as far as animals being able to speak. Jeremy, do you have something? I know that we're completely out of time. 